And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.33, and joining me now for a Master Gardener program is our good friend Barb Lampson. Good morning, Barb. Hey, Karen. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. Uh, you know, I've the last weekend, we had some nice days. I've been out... Uh, raking and blowing and shredding and shredding and shredding leaves upon leaves upon leaves. There are so many. And this morning, as I was backing out of my driveway, I had to stop because the the big leaf elephant sucker was driving yes. by. Yes. So for people who don't shred them themselves and use them, it, we're great that we have a city that goes several times out to suck those yes. leaves out of the, the street. And that's a good thing because those leaves are some of the biggest polluters of our waterways. And what happens when they get in the waterways is we get all this algae. So just because I have asthma, I will tell you that this is probably one of the worst times for people with asthma or any type of respiratory illness. And I had a major asthma attack and went to the doctor and and just was struggling to breathe. And he said, I said, I don't understand this. Uh, my asthma is in control mm-hmm. all the time. You know, this inhaler, this usually works for me. And he said, this is what we call a big event happening to you. And he said, this is the worst time for people with asthma. The, the fall when all uh, the... the... He said, the, uh, when the farmers get the crops out of the field, uh-huh. all that dust, all that chemical, all that stuff is up in the air and you're breathing that. He said, the leaves that are falling, they have all that dust on them. He said, then we have... Uh, uh, we're raking in it, and then we have the sweepers that come. And so all this is getting up in the atmosphere. So he said the best thing, uh, so anyway, they stabilized my lungs, and, and I'm on a couple a couple of new things, and I'm using a nebulizer. And uh, But is to stay out. And you know how I love to be outside, and the weather was nice enough, but I had to stay inside. And so I concentrated on my house plants in the house. And they got my personal attention. And uh, I went through and I thought, now, are there any plants here that I took in that I'm really not happy with? And I had made cuttings from my coleus and uh, they, they rooted and they looked great. And I planted them and they looked anemic. And wow. I thought, this isn't good. So out they went. And then so I, what, do you, what happened to them? Why did they get anemic? Just <laughs> I don't know, Karen. They just, um, they just didn't, they liked it in their water base. And it just didn't seem like they, they did didn't well. didn't want the dirt. <laughs> I tried different locations for them. I don't know if it was already too warm and dry in the house. So what I did do was I started measuring the humidity again in the house. You know, uh, 45 to 50% is, is comfortable for you. Right. And so I put saucers around the plants with water in them so that it could uh, evaporate and, and help them along that way. And I washed the leaves and I grouped them so that like plants were together. And so that was one of the things I did. But the week before that, something I wanted to talk about that I'd worked on out in the yard before my asthma started kicking up was um, I have a, uh, uh, a, not a raised bed, but it's the a cold frame. And you know what a cold frame is? It, it's like a box and it's slanted so it has a window on top. Like a glass window, yep. Yeah. And and it opens and closes. It gets the sun in there. It's like but a little box it's like a little box with a, a, a glass top lid that you can lift 
Right. And shut and keep your plants like nice yep. and warm. Yep, so you don't cook them to death when it gets really warm. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, Barb's uh, <coughs> a- asthma and allergies are obviously kicking up. And yes. With, I know it, it would have been tough for you because I was with the, the leaf sucker and the leaf blower thing, and, and it gets very, very dusty with all those little particles, and I don't know how you would have. I don't think you could have managed that. I, I, I know I couldn't have, and I just, it kind of crept up on me. But this um, box that I had worked on, I am improving the soil in there. Sometimes we forget about these things that we have. Uh, when you start out, you improve the soil and then you just take it for granted that you can continue to plant in there. And so I added a, a I worked it up, added a layer of mulched leaves and then a bunch of kitchen scraps from fruits and vegetables that I had. And I even had some uh, nutshells I put in there and, and put that on and then took some of the new compost that I have and put a layer of that, water it down and close the lid on it and it'll it, be like a little pressure cooker. Almost. Yes, and so that'll be ready, uh, hopefully by next spring. And that's where I'll put my coal crops in the lettuce and the cabbages. Uh, the I, uh, I I don't think I'll put the cabbage in there, but I think I'll put spinaches, okay. all kinds of lettuces and spinaches and things like that. Because that's your leafy home. greens. Yeah. Yes. So that that'll be close. I might even start a few herbs. I might try start parsley and. Uh, uh, just just depends on though, but so that was a good thing to get done, and I, I'm looking forward to that. And then also, I have a few plants that are more tender than other ones, and one is a new primrose, which I bought this year, and it's hardy to zone three. And well, it's, that should be hardy then. I mean, we're we're zone four, so shouldn't it be you shouldn't it, have it, problems, would you? Except the thing that I'm always so suspicious of is when you never see primrose like this growing any place in your area. And I yeah, and I visit a lot of gardens. So I thought I'm going to work in I've got this wonderful cedar mulch. I'm going to work it around the base uh, right now. So I just put it in there, shoved it under the leaves, and then when it gets colder, when the ground is frozen, I'm going to put uh, a little mesh circle around it that would contain some leaves and see if I can't get that through this winter. And maybe after, if I can get it through this winter, um, maybe I'll use less protection. But the thing that's so interesting about this plant is when I bought it, it bloomed, and now it's blooming, and that worries me. Again? Again, it is blooming. I should actually... Why does that worry you? Well, because it hasn't gotten ready for winter. It's oh, it's not gone it's, to bed yet. It's not hardening off. It should be slowing down. Well, you know, I was mentioning it to you. I thought it was really interesting. Within the last two weeks, I've been out in the garden. My raspberries have blooms on them again. Now, what's that? Is it must be the, the the way the year is because mine are the early bloomers in the the early summer, yes. or you know, late spring, early summer, and and now I saw blooms again. I thought, well, this is rather odd. Yes, it it is. It's um um. I have flocks in my garden. Mine and, are blooming too. But and and but I had this is one plant um, that is blooming. The rest of them got seeds on them, and and I've deadheaded them. And they're ready for winter. But and I wanted to keep this one plant because it was from a seed, and I wanted to see what color it was from. It was from the white David, which is the newer introduction of flocks that is. Uh, uh, resists powdery mildew and black spot. 
And of course, when they're when it's a hybrid like that, they don't come back true to they form. Come, right, they come back to their parent. Yes, but it's so interesting. So some of the blooms on the same stalk um, are very white, but then they kind of fade down into, and they have more of this light purple coming up in them. And so it's it's actually quite nice. And, you know, when nothing else is blooming, uh, uh, a plant like a phlox, you just really appreciate seeing that and seeing that color. And then the other thing that's blooming is, normally I raise this, uh, it's a flowering a thistle, globe thistle well, is mm-hmm. called. Not it, the wild kind that's bad in ditches. No, no, it doesn't recede at all, believe me. But it does make a nice big clump, and it has sturdy stems on it. And usually, as soon as it gets done blooming, I cut it back all the way to the bottom, and it regrows. Well, this year, I didn't get that done right away, and so I was later in cutting it back, and now those stalks are blooming, too. And here again... Uh, I think this is hardy enough and it won't have any problems, but if you're going to cut something back, you know, do it as soon as you can in the summer so that it can regrow and then start uh, going dormant again in the fall the way it should go. Now, my GM, I've got these pretty little orange GM, they have started blooming again, and my husband said, Karen, look, at the GMs are blooming again. He couldn't believe it either. So I, it must just be something the way the weather has been. We've had yes. nice moisture pretty much, so they guess that they've been strong. But but is that going to harm them because they're not going to sleep, as you said, like yeah. preparing for the winter? Yeah, I think we have to be aware of that and maybe do a better job of uh, putting down the mulch as it gets colder to protect them. Um don't do it now. The only thing is, like a couple of corobels and then these primrose, they are the ones uh, that I took this mulch and I pushed just underneath, not the whole area surrounding it, but just along the base of the plant to protect that. So, and then I th- I thought of your husband and your son this week, the researchers, the scientists. Yes. And and I was reading about the news they released about oceans, and uh, it's, you know, it's so wonderful to have universities that are doing independent research. And this is where you can you can trust that research because they're they're not representing uh, anybody else but but what's really going on. And they found out now that they're using it's called Argo floats, A-R-G-O, Argo floats, and they put them in the oceans and they get a better reading on what the temperature of the water is. And what they're finding out is the water in the oceans is warming even faster than than what we thought. And this uh, study comes out of the Princeton University. And so there's, there's a couple of responses to this. One is that we need to do more. So Everybody needs to, we need to have more efficient cars. We need to pass laws that make uh, uh, protecting the environment important, protecting the atmosphere. And, and then the other thought comes from a group of people that say, well, if things are that bad, you know, nothing we do can solve this. You know, leave it to the next generation and they'll have to <laughs> deal with it. And it's surprising, but... And then there's those people who don't believe anything about climate change. They just don't believe it's happening at all. But here's the thing. When you think about this, and we as gardeners, we follow 
zones, cold zones and heat zones. And when the temperature rises and either your, your zone, your cold zone changes or your heat zone changes, then your food production, the crops you grow for farmers, will also change along with That's it. That's right, because the length of the crop season is changing. Yes, exactly. Here's the thing about, about uh, uh, heat zones. If it becomes too hot, if you're in a zone, let's say you're in the south and you're an eight or a nine, now all of a sudden you can't grow cold crops because you can't have all those heat days. And it doesn't take many heat days of 85 to 90 degrees to change because it's critical in the plant's life at the time when they need to be cool, when they're either setting fruit or they're waiting for the bees, that they have the right temperature. So what this means for us is maybe... uh, Maybe here, if it gets colder, there'll be fewer things that that we can raise. We, we would change our zone, or we could get hotter. And that's the thing with climate climate change. We know that it also affects the amount of rain that we get, and that could affect us. And one of the things about that then would be, if we have to import more food from uh, further away, if what if we had to have our cabbages, our broccolis, our coal crops, which do so well in Alaska, what if they were shipping all that in to here? It would be more that, expensive, I would think. Yeah, yes, exactly. And the thing of it is, we are so lucky here because except for things like tropical fruits, a lot of vegetables and fruits can be grown here right. in, in we, our we, zone. We can do really a lot of things and don't have to ship them so far, which, of course, contributes to not polluting with all the tra- uh, transportation. And and we have the right amount of uh, rain, uh, or we did have the right amount, so that we can grow things like that that without adding uh, irrigation, which that will be a problem, too, with this heating and cooling going on. So... Some really good things, and I would suggest to all of our listeners that when you you know look at research, look and see who's doing it, and follow the research, and be ready to tell people when they say, "Oh, there's no such thing as climate change." Just if saying. you start to garden, you will notice it. You really will. And, yes. and if you don't garden, you really don't think about it. And you know, you and I spend so much time in the soil, and so much of what we do depends on the weather. Right. And you know, when you do it year after year, you really start to see patterns. And I think that's why maybe we're more attuned to it. Yes, and you also see that things don't necessarily happen in big things. There's smaller there's smaller changes that are occurring, and, and that's what makes the whole thing sneaky. Then the other thing I was reading this week, you can, you can tell I was inside most of the Yes, week. because you couldn't be outside. <laughs> exactly, that's right. I was reading about the Roundup that they found in, in oat cereals and things that are made with oats. And that is very shocking to me, simply because um, the, um, there was a study done that looked at 20 different products and the amount of Roundup found. And there was Roundup in unacceptable levels in in, tw- in uh, 18 of these 20 products. Well, you know, Here's the thing, the argument, and and this is so controversial. The um, people that produced Roundup before, that was Monsanto. Right. And they have sold their company now to a German company, or, no, it's not German. Is it is either German or it's uh, someplace in the Netherlands? And... Um, and and, uh, and it's Bayer. Bayer is the company. And um, so... 
<laughs> because the, you know the manufacturers are saying the products are safe, but uh, there's right. the argument that that they're saying that some of them are. Uh, have a cancer risk with long-term consumption. Of course, nobody eats more cereal than I do, and I love cereal. And some of the ones they've mentioned, um, you know, I've, I've eaten a lot of over the years. And and uh, it says while none of the foods have violated the EPA limits on the herbicide, but uh, they, the uh, environmental group uses a far more conservative health benchmark. Right. So 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 here, here's, oh, Barb's having a little coughing spat there, but. Um, how much do we want any? Do we want any herbicides in our foods that we eat? Especially when you're feeding, like you think, uh, oat cereals to children. You know, what are some of the earliest foods that you give your little little kids? Because it's the lifetime cumulative exposure that really is what we don't know about. Yeah. I mean, you, it's not like you're suddenly going to die from eating a little bit of this, but they don't it's, know. It's a cancer risk it's, is what it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a long-term thing right. that they're going to have to do some more studying. It, yeah, exactly. So uh, I, you know, think about this and, <coughs> excuse me, anytime you can find organic, uh, you, th- this is worth your money when you're sure that uh, herbicides aren't on the product. And that's why a lot of times I like to grow my own things too, just because I know what's in them, what's not in them. And, and uh, I got to tell you a funny story. My old roommate um, from college and I are good friends. So she has seen my square foot gardening, which I used those metal garden beds and, and thought they were just wonderful barbs. So she debated whether or not she should do it. Cause you know, it's an, the upright cause the first outright yes. cost is a little much because you got to buy the metal beds and then you got to you know buy the dirt to fill it with so she did it and she says she has had one of the best she couldn't believe it how the the crops were just amazing but it was funny yesterday she sent me a picture of some some potatoes that she had harvested she had a real bountiful crop of them that she'd had in the raised beds but the potatoes she had cut them in half and in the center was kind of a red circle and then there was a white circle on the outside she says I don't know what's wrong something's wrong with them she says so I had to throw a lot of them away and so I thought well I'm going to put this on the master gardener listserv to see what's going on so I put the picture up that she showed of these potatoes and first comment somebody says well what variety does she have and so I sent her a note back I said well what variety is it so she called the place that she bought them from and they're supposed to look like that (laughs) Oh, really? So, so they're like the two-tone, so they've got like a kind of a red center vein, uh. red vein center, and then the outside is kind of the more white, and that's just the variety of the potato, and, and she's, here she threw a whole bunch away because she thought something was wrong, so I guess it goes to pace to know what you actually have planted. Oh, so yeah. So I just chuckled, but but I mean, so she had really good success with the raised bed, um, which I was happy to hear. She said, I had one tomato plant with over 100 tomatoes, and these wow. weren't the little ones, the big ones. She says, I've never had anything like that, and and I had the same luck, too, with my tomatoes. I've got the ones in the raised bed, and then I planted some just in the dirt around the outside. Right, right. And they just never flourish. So yeah, um, yeah. So there's something about having that perfect soil and being able to, you know, treat it. It is, and, and the right weather temperatures. You know something interesting? The two pepper plants you gave me, they were supposed to be yum-yum. And, we and I gave you the wrong ones, yeah. And, and, but that that doesn't matter. Well, they were so... they. They grew after a while. They were late and slow they, to go. Uh, uh, slow to go, and then they just got to a certain size, and then they were slow to start making blossoms. But you know what? As it was getting cooler, or threats of getting cooler, I've put them into the greenhouse. Magic. Boom. They they loved being inside the heat and that heat and uh, and protected at night. 
And so last night, um, I I uh, cooked up a four or five of those little orange red uh, peppers that you gave me. They're they're absolutely wonderful. I've been slicing them on salads. They're just wonderful. I don't know how long I'll be able to keep them out there, but they they like it and they like being watered with with uh, you know by hand like this they get in the right amount of water and I have them growing in those soft bags and boy is that ever slick when those those cloth bags you bring them in you have handles on them you just pick them up you carry them in even though you have a lot of soil in there they're very lightweight they're very easy to handle because of those uh, uh, handles on them. And, you know, if you've got the, the small spot, a small patio or something, those are great things to do. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about my hostas. You know, I, it was a terrible year for slugs this year, just terrible. Yes. And when yes. I was cleaning up the leaves and sucking up the leaves, I actually saw them on just on the ground. I could see the little yes. things poking through. But I had read somewhere, and I wanted to talk with you about this. Uh, with with hostas, it said if you've had a terrible year with slugs, snails, etc., you should remove the leaves because that's where they lay their eggs. So I haven't done that yet. I've sucked all the leaves around them. So maybe what I should need to do because it was just—I mean—they are just pocked. Uh, remove those and then throw them away. Would you recommend that? You know, I I am dealing with the same thing, and I think Di- it was Diane Denham Selly that had in her column this week. I'm not sure, but somebody wrote about this that if you till in the fall or if you spade your garden up in the fall, you raise those eggs and that up on top of the soil and they're killed off. Now, a lot of people would tell you you should wait and do your tilling in the spring. No, but I don't till those the hosta gardens. No, so. but I- if you would maybe go in there and take off those leaves and maybe just take, you know, you know, the, I call it a hand scratcher. What is that metal tool that has the, the prongs coming out of it, like a hand, and just maybe work that up a little bit. You wouldn't bother any of those uh, roots in there, and maybe you would turn that over and expose those, whatever's in there, to the cold, and they would freeze. Oh, you mean you just could, like, so you take like, the, it's like the claws, what I call it, the metal the claw, claw. Sure. And just, you mean just scrape away, so yeah, maybe yeah, some of those Yeah, roots. I think so. And why don't you do just a, a certain area and see if that's better um, uh, next year than another area would be. And then when it's a hard freeze, though, then what I want to do is I want to, is to put some shredded leaves or something on top yep, because yep. they, you know, still need a little protection from the cold, sure. especially the thawing and the cold like we have a lot of times in spring. But, but like I said, I've got so many hostas and I had such a bad year with slugs and things that I read that and I thought, well, maybe that's something I should do. So yeah, I think I, I'll I, take those leaves up. I, I think I think that's true because they, they do find the best place. I mean, this is about survival. So they're going, and you know, even um, the bricks are, are pieces of wood or anything you've got. Boy, they sure, I mean, they gravitate to those places. Where the moisture is. Yeah, 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 yeah. and it, they're protected. So uh, it, you'd be surprised. If you haven't dug around in your garden, you'd be surprised. We, I think we've all got slugs. I really do. <laughs> I've terrible. never, I've never seen anything quite like it. And you know, I was reading about things like the voles and the moles. You know, it, these things move in from the tall grasses, and uh, and they're looking for a place for winter that's going to be like us going to Florida. They want to get out of the cold too. And so when you have this mulch down too early, that's the place they come to because it's warm. It's a, it's great underneath there. And they'll stay there. So if you wait until the ground freezes, then they've 
overlooked it. They went someplace else. They don't come in. In some cases, though, you can't because I, I had to do something with mine. So I, I put it down in some areas. So I'll probably, although I haven't had the bowl problem like I have in the past. You know, in the past, I've had them pretty much eat all my vegetables. But this year, I'm not sure why, but I have heard also that sometimes they are cyclical in terms of their population. Sure. So I'm hoping that that's a down year. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, the other thing we should just say briefly is if you can bag your leaves and save leaves, Oh, my goodness. Create leaf mold. Yes, yes. So easy to do. If you can, you know, you can bag them and and they'll break down eventually a dark bag and then keep some of the moisture. And you may even want to add some moisture in that. But also it says, you know, maybe put a shovel full of dirt or something else to kind of help it break down faster. Yeah. And that leaf mold, if you can leave it over the winter, leave it another year or two um, someplace, that will turn into liquid or to to gold, essentially, black gold. Exactly. And you know what I try to do with with, with mine? I kind of... Have them, I have them along the fence so they're out of the way. And then if, if you can move them around once in a while, turn them from, from, if they're standing upright, then turn them on their side. And it seems like that whole action also helps helps to uh, break things down evenly. So if, if you got that kind of energy <laughs> and you want to build muscles, you can do, certainly do that. And when you use these black bags, you know, when it is when the sun is shining outside, even if it's only 30 above, inside that black bag, it's going to be much, much warmer. It's the same way in my greenhouse. When it gets to be 30 degrees, I mean, it can get to be 80 degrees in my greenhouse right. without any additional heat, just and solar. Speaking of bags, you know, I'm not a, one, a fan of, of plastic bags, but I buy the very, very sturdy ones, and I use them over and over and over. Yes. Because, it, I, I mean, they're they're not going to break down. Right. Uh, but if you can reuse them, that's, I mean, at least I feel like I'm doing something that's not. You know, totally my husband bleeding. taught me that. <laughs> and he said, now, when you empty out a bag, he said, hang it up, hang it up, and then let it dry, dry out. out. Uh-huh. And then we'll save it because they are so good. And he was absolutely right there. In some respects, I wish they could make them a little smaller. They'd be easier to handle. Right. They're pretty big, some of them. Yeah. Especially well, you could not get, fill it so full. Yeah, well, that's that's like one of those things, you know, I have this, I got to use it. Right, I can't, don't waste. I can't waste space here. So, yeah, exactly. But, you know, uh, I, I planted a 196 spring bulb, 197 spring, spring bulbs, and I, I you do mulch them right away because they continue growing underneath the soil. So it, that is all done. And I water them in. And I water them, and I have wire on top of them, and I have bricks sitting on top of the wire. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, a, it's a fortress. You know, it's funny when you're a gardener, you try to protect your things. I planted a bunch of bulbs on the hillside. I didn't put wire on them. I, I'm going to see. I, I think I, I planted daffodils, which the good thing is squirrels really don't like them. That's right. But I, I, with the tulips, I thought, well, they didn't cost that much, so I'm just going to take my chances. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's all right, too. In the spring, whatever color you get, you'll just love it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Barb, it's always great to ta- chat with you, and, and may the, the leaf mold and all the dust in the sky not to send you back to the hospital. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen. All right, bye-bye.